Hello and welcome to the OPG Inspire podcast. My name is Robert Roach, your host in the wonderful world of leading with abundance and organizational development. Today I had the opportunity to sit with Dennis Misne, CEO of the Lehman Foundation in Brazil. Dennis's description of his work is simple. The Lehman Foundation is dedicated to ensuring that every kid in Brazil has access to high quality education and that they are given the resources to develop into a generation of Brazilian leaders. Dennis has an amazing background. Holding a degree in law from the University of Sao Paulo, Dennis is the founder and served as the director of the Sou de Paz Institute, an organization dedicated to reducing the levels of violence in Brazil. Additionally, he's a visiting scholar at the Human Rights Advocates Program at Columbia University and is a Yale World Fellow. My conversation with Dennis took place in Boston. He was attending the annual Brazil conference in which the top leaders and representatives of Brazil come together to find innovative solutions for the major problems that Brazil experiences. I had a lot of fun hearing about Dennis's plans for the future. He's a truly charismatic leader with innovative ideas for his country. With that, my interview with Dennis Misne. Welcome to the uh, OPG Inspire podcast. You know, let's just get started. For those people that do not know you yet on uh, and were listening to our podcast, could you introduce yourself? Who are you? What have you been working on the last few years? So my name is Dennis Misny, and I'm the CEO of the Lemon Foundation. And the Lemon Foundation is a Brazilian nonprofit. Uh, basically, we have two objectives. One is ensure that every Brazilian kid has a world-class education, and we're talking here about 40 million K through 12 students in the country. And the second one is to create a generation of leaders uh, who who are going to dedicate their lives to solving some of Brazil's biggest social problems. So we train people, we send a lot of people to top universities in the U.S. We help them come back to Brazil and support them uh, in their careers until. They, they make a big contribution and big difference uh, in Brazil. And I've been in this role for the past seven years now. Um, before that, uh, I started and ran for 11 years uh, an NGO in Brazil which deals with gun control uh, called uh, I Am For Peace, Solda Paz. And so I've been working with public problems uh, for the past 18 years, and that's, that's what I like to do. Now, we're here in Boston right now. Uh, I drove out from New Haven, Connecticut to come meet you. And, uh, and it, the second I walked in, this place is just totally bustling. So what is happening here in this conference center here in Boston this weekend? So this is interesting. This is the Brazil Conference. It's the fourth edition. And this is an event organized by uh, Brazilian students from Harvard and MIT. Uh, started as a small project uh, four years ago. And it became kind of the conference on Brazil. So you have presidential candidates here speaking. You have some of the biggest businessmen in the country. You have a lot of the top academics from Brazil, civil society leaders. And, uh, and basically, they gather here for two days and they discuss current topics that are affecting Brazil, but with a lens of a distance from Brazil. And it's interesting because people feel much more comfortable to talk about Brazil outside Brazil. And the other characteristic of this conference is it brings all sides of the table. So you're not preaching to the choir. You're not like, you really have like a, a governor from the Communist Party talking with, you know, a formal central banker and, you know, right wing. You have the uh, head of the liberal, super liberal party. Uh, speak. So this is the idea of creating these conversations 
that are harder to get. And the foundation, the Lemon Foundation, uh, gives scholarships to a lot of the students who organize this. And this is part of this effort of getting more Brazilians to be prepared outside of Brazil and to get these top institutions to look at Brazil through a different lenses. Mm. So let's talk about where Brazil is right now. You know, in 2015, you said the only way of measuring education in a country at, a, at the stage of development that Brazil is at is whether boys and girls are learning. And right now they're not. So that was in 2015. Uh, how has the educational landscape changed since then? What is the Lehman Foundation doing to make that change? So I think uh, we can see small results in terms of the percentage of kids who are learning in, you know, two years uh, after that uh, quote, because education takes some time. But I think um, the country has been able to put into place a few policies that are quite important. We call that the infrastructure phase, kind of. Uh, in order to change education, there are a few key policies that need to be put in place. And one of them, and we were very involved in that, uh, was just creating some level of consensus around what kids should know when they leave school, right? And and that might seem very obvious, and in a lot of places it is obvious because if you look at Finland or Korea or France or uh, England, they have, you know, had uh, standards and curriculum for a very long time. If you look at the U.S. and you look at Brazil, I mean, they didn't, right? And, and the fact that you don't have an agreement on what is expected for each kid to learn at each year on their uh, learning journey uh, makes it really hard to get there, right? If you don't know where you want to go, it's really hard to get there. So I think one of the biggest efforts that we have been involved was creating consensus around the need for what we call the Brazilian National Learning Standards. And in December last year, I'm happy to say they were enacted into law. So this is a key policy. Now the country is getting ready for the implementation, and that's very hard. But uh, we're very encouraged by the fact that we have national learning standards and that it was built in a way that is sustainable because we had a very broad coalition. We learned a lot from experiences like the Common Core here, you know, didn't necessarily work as well as they should. So this is one important piece of infrastructure. And I'll be brief on another one. Another one is school connectivity. Um, and the, the create more incentives for the use of good technologies to empower teachers and students. And I think this is important everywhere. It's, it's a top topic that, but in Brazil, it's especially important because of the scale of the country. We're talking about 200,000 schools, 2 million teachers, 40 million kids. So it was important that together with this process of deciding where we're heading and like setting the standards, you need to support the teachers on how to train them to teach the standards, give them the materials, right? The textbooks and other materials, uh, allow for assessments that are aligned for the standards and technology can help uh, reduce the cost, increase the quality <coughs> Sorry. Uh, of these efforts. So, and, and we worked hard in this for the past two and a half years. And Brazil launched in October last year the Educação Conectada, Connected Education Policy, which now sets that by 2024, every school in the country will not only have uh, high-speed broadband, but that you know schools will have a plan on how to use the technology, they have the right resources, uh, they have the infrastructure. So I think these are just two examples of things that are changing that I think are encouraging to think that the next 10 years will be different than the past 10 mm. years. Now, as you said, Brazil's massive, 40 million students, 200,000 schools. You know, how, as a leader, do you even approach making that kind of systemic change? You know, what is your, 
What's the initial strategy that you bring to the table to, to, to sell this idea? So we, we look at, at the foundation when we set the strategy uh, in 2013, had a big moment to when we decided, okay, we want to impact the whole the education of the whole country, how we're going to do this. And, um, and we started to think, what are different strategies that can scale, right? And we came up with three. One is helping the implementation of key policies, right? So make sure that you don't pick many battles, but pick a couple or you know two, three battles and really create conditions for these to be effective public policies at the federal level, right? And the standards is one example. That was our first battle. Second thing was like, you need to create success stories, right? You have to, and it, could, it cannot be uh, five schools that are successful or 50 schools. I mean, the idea that civil society is going to do, you know, a few case studies and then the government will only have to scale which is like scale is the tough part, right? Scaling is the tough part. So, I mean, how can, can we do like something at scale that is really transforming schools so this can both help us feed the policy that we're doing, but also show the examples, right? Mobilize the people and allow for the kind of transformation from inside out that we believe the system needs. And lastly, technology, right? Technology can scale by definition. So you can kind of go... Uh, we're betting a lot on the system and improving the system, but technology allows you to reach the kids directly, reach the teachers directly. And, and I think so these are the three things that we said, okay, these are good strategies. Well, now pick, you know, what, where you want to head and start slowly implementing each one of them. Now to scale, you got you need to have buy-in, right? You need to have these incredibly large groups of people and leaders and all the different branches of your organization buy into these ideas and say, these are the small successes or the battles that we want to fight. Um, now, one, one thing that, you know, I commonly think about is we have to establish our baseline values, you know, these, the, the baseline definitions of what we're trying to achieve. And something that you said in 2015 that caught my eye was you referenced about your work that it's the principle of excellence and equity for everyone. So tell me, about excellence and equity? What do those terms mean as part of these base values? I think that's a really important point. I think what kind of edu education are we trying to build? And I think a, a, a lot of people uh, maybe trying to be pragmatists or any other reason, they think that, uh, well, if I can, you know, support the best students in the country and they can go on and, and make a difference, that's already enough. Or no, if I only take care of the poorest of the poor, that's the right thing to do. We don't have resources to treat all of them. So our approach is slightly different and is we believe that Brazil will only be a country that is just and fair, which is our vision, if the public school system as a whole performs, right? Is if, <coughs> sorry about that. We only believe that the country will get there to be more just and fair if every single kid has the capacity to reach its full potential. And therefore, the idea of excellence and equity, like we need to push the bar very high, but we need to bring every kid there. And that means a lot of negotiation, a lot of building trust and coalitions and creating conditions for that transformation to happen not from an outside force to the system, like many education reformers 
tend to be, but really building the you know the bridges and and the dialogue with the with with um, different stakeholders. And I think this is a lot of what we did. I mean, with the critical support of OPG and Laura and in the standards, like the the whole idea of locking people inside the room. Literally, not literally, because they were not locked. They could leave, but it was New Haven, and it was there really were cold. Breaks. Yeah, <laughs> eventually, if they behave well. Yeah, but the idea of getting some of the key stakeholders from all the different political parties and academics and, and you know uh, secretaries of education from the state level and, and municipal level and uh, uh, yeah, all the key players, and just say, okay, let's let's try to use this idea of being outside Brazil. Uh, having some free time to look at what other countries did and then reflect on our practice and see, can we agree? I mean, I know it doesn't seem that we're going to agree in the beginning, but can we agree in a few principles? Can we agree that, you know, and it was super interesting to see this process over the past four years because not only it delivered the, you know, it was important to deliver the national learning standards, but it was important to kind of find new ways of different stakeholders to work together in a safe and, and, and trusted space, evidence-based, and moving, you know, uh, with a f- very clear focus and, and, and moving forward. And I think this will be helpful for many other challenges that we're going to face uh, in the near future. So let's talk about one of those initiatives of Lehman Foundation that you mentioned, which is creating a generation of leaders. How does your work as a leader reflect on how you want to see change in Brazil, how you want to bring in a new generation of leaders? You know, what are leaderships, what leadership skills should we be teaching in our schools to students or to children who want to change their country and who want to be a part of it? I think the first thing to understand is the way we approach this is we have a bad resource allocation problem. Uh, and I think that's true in many parts of the world, not only Brazil. And the, the problem is that we're not allocating our best resources, human resources, to our toughest challenges, right? We are allowing some of the greatest minds of, of our generation to go work in consulting or banking. or That's not really challenging. I mean, it's not that it's not important. Of course, you know, solving you know, uh, public safety in Rio is more important than, you know, supporting a company on how to extract more value out of its product. But it's also that it's way harder, right? It's harder to solve, but we're not selling well. We're not doing this way. I mean, a lot of people who go to the traditional jobs that attract the top graduates of Yale and Harvard and MIT, they think they are, oh, I'm going there because the smartest people are there. And, and but you know, we need the smartest and the most talented and with a diverse background, but we need them to be tackling the largest social problems, not only because it's important, but because it's super hard. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is the underlying idea that we have and that have been kind of, so we started by increasing the supply of talent, right? And partnering with uh, schools uh, like um, Harvard and MIT and Yale and Stanford and Oxford and picking certain uh, courses, uh, masters and PhDs mostly, in areas that are critical for Brazil. Government, education, and health are the three biggest concentrations. Started sending Brazilians abroad and hoping they will come back. Eventually, we started doing uh, more of like an intentional way of attracting them back, creating a network of those leaders, 
having them see the value of the network and one supporting each other. Uh, and what happened, I think, about a year and a half ago was we realized we were reaching a critical mass. Uh, we have, we call them lemon fellows, and we have about 455 lemon fellows now, which for a group of leadership, it's, it's big, right? And now you have different cohorts. It's been 10 years since we started. So you have a lot of people in government, a lot of people leading uh, top nonprofits in the country, leading local government. Uh, we have 40 people running for office in the next elections, wow. from the left to the right, all kinds of different ideologies, right? And so we have 50 people in public health. 50 people, it's, it's a lot, right? 50 well-trained people. So, and now we're combining them with leaders who didn't have a chance to come here, but are doing extraordinary work on the ground in Brazil. And so we believe strongly that this idea of being a force to attract people and validate their choices. I think when I decided to work in the uh, not-for-profit sector, I was not, you know, really encouraged by everyone around me. It was kind of, why? Like, you have a great law degree. Why are not a lawyer in a big firm or more, you know? That would be the normal sense. You're trained in the best institutions in the country, outside Brazil, like, you know. And I think we want to make more common, and we see this here a lot, that, you know, people really well-trained are saying, yeah, I think I should spend my life solving a big problem. And it sounds that we have a concept of OPG called abundance leadership. One of the uh, central uh, themes in abundance leadership is that you have resources and those resources are sufficient. And that, you know, uh, if you are seeing resources as constantly not being sufficient, then uh, you are a scarcity leader. And it seems like Brazil has an incredible well of resources that uh, through these programs, you're just starting to really tap in in terms of that intellectual depth that some people are ready to bring to the table for helping and improving the country. It's, it's crazy because we are a country with a lot of needs and yet, we are ready to waste a majority of our talent, right? Be it because we're not giving them excellent basic education, so we're letting a lot of our talent basically be illiterate and don't have a chance. Be it because the lack of diversity and space for people with different backgrounds and, you know, to occupy positions of leadership. Be it because we're, you know, pushing the best talent to places where they're not the most needed. And I think we, it doesn't make sense anywhere, but especially it doesn't make sense in a place with so much, so many problems, right? So I think if we can become these catalysts of saying, well, now it's cool to work in a tough problem. Now I can actually get trained to do that because um, we recently, when we realized that we had 40 people in our network who wanted to run for office, that you know, we said, okay, that's great, but what is the guarantee that they're going to be good politicians, right? There, there's no guarantee. I mean, it's not because you went to a fancy school that you're going to be a good politician. It's a, a definite set of skills. So you have to train people to do this, and it's not that obvious, right? If you want to work with public safety, what kind of training do you get? If you want to work with, like, large-scale education transformation. So I think also by not only finding the people and raising the profile of these people, but really trying to help them get the right kind of training and then counting on the support of their peers. And we really think you can have, like, a, a, a 
you know, a network effect there. Yeah. That once you, you know, things start to become more normal uh, and you start to have like a, you know, we, we have a goal for five years from now where we say we want to have a critical mass of very talented people who are working to solve Brazil's biggest problems. Say, so, okay, how do you measure that? Could be a number of, it said, okay, it must be very easy. Like you want a serious person committed to be your, you know, state secretary of education. You have like 10 different options. Yeah. You want someone to be a researcher in a lead problem uh, in academia that, you know, it's critical for public health. You should have like, it should be obvious. Today it is not, right? We're, we're kind of improvising and, and we shouldn't be. I've heard you speak about the education in Brazil. You've had quantity, but now you're shooting for quality. And it sounds like you're also reaching for that with this creation of leaders in Brazil as well. Now, you know, in your work, how do you balance quantity, which is something you need, versus quality, which is something that really generates change? We, we like to think we, we live in the world of the land of hard trade-offs, right? Where we're trying to question the, you know, inevitability of, of uh, some trade-offs. And, um, and I think quality and quantity needs to be one of them, right? So I think the biggest challenge in education is not quantity and it's not quality. It's quality at scale, right? You can create a school like, you know, uh, Yale or Harvard or where you can deliver top class education for the few. Uh, and you can create like schools where you're creating um, where you're creating um, large scale education for the many, but it's it's unsuccessful and it's not enough. So I think what we need is quality for the masses, and it's really hard to do. It goes back to the point that these are some of the hardest problems we have in society. Like how can you you need two million teachers in Brazil? These teachers don't come from Mars, right? They come from the Brazilian educational system, which we all know it's failing. That's why we're trying to help. But the teachers are coming from the generation that failed, right? And they are not the brightest kids because the teaching profession is not valued. If it were valued, maybe it was not failing. So it, it's kind of, this is the hard part. So I think you have to wake up in the morning and think, I don't want solutions for small scale solutions. Our problem is not finding the solution and then scaling it is scaling it. And that's what we're trying to do. We, we run a program now. We have 800,000 students in this program. We want to reach 2 million. 2 million is 10% of the cohort of that age group in Brazil. And we started with 50,000, which is not small, but we started thinking, okay, we're operating this as if it were 2 million. The cost structure, uh, the number of experts that we need, the number of times we can visit the schools. It needs to be something that we can replicate, right, at large scale. And I think this mindset of thinking scale since day one and not thinking that scale is something that will come naturally, I think it's, it's a mindset. And I'm not saying it's going to be fixed because we have the right mindset, but I don't see how to fix it without that mindset. Mm -hmm. This can literally apply to anything, any dream that you have, you know, you think, well, it's too big for me to overcome now because I can never see myself getting there. But to be able to approach your problems with solutions that can scale slowly over time, that's a, that's a really beautiful concept.
And I think that's what moves people, right? Our, um, my boss, uh, Jorge Paulo Lemon, he always says it's the big dream, right? That's, that's what you need. You need a big dream. And with a dream that is big enough, you can put a lot of talented people underneath because if it's small, a lot of times you'd say, okay, it's, this guy is solving it. I'm not going to be part of it. So let me find my dream somewhere else. And I think if you can create these concepts of like really large scale problems um, and you can attract and, and, and then you realize I'm not going to solve it alone because it's so big, right? So you resist this idea of uh, Quixote-esque kind of, you know, I'm going to do it. And so you need to think also, you know, what needs to be in place so I can do this. So I think this is, this is, that's the idea. If it's going to work, we don't know. I think we have good starting points and good inspirations. Uh, but it's, it's a game for the long run. And I hope that five years from now, we'll be able to look at the data in Brazil and see, wow, there is a, you know, at least a small part of the country already got there and the rest of the country is well positioned to get there uh, in the near future. We have a, you know, critical mass of people tackling biggest problems. And if you have a critical mass of great people doing the right things, you know, problems will be, will be solved and they have new ideas. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. Well, Dennis, uh, good luck this weekend and good luck over the next couple of years chasing that big dream. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was my interview with Dennis Misne, CEO of the Lehman Foundation in Brazil. Head online and search L-E-M-A-N-N Foundation to learn more about this dynamic organization. A central concept in my conversation with Dennis that I'd like to focus on was creating strategies of scale. It's easy to sit down and generate a plan for your dream or organization. You create goals, find tactics to achieve those goals, and everything looks great on paper, but you find in the execution that things are much more difficult than they seem. This may be because you are acting only with that final goal in mind, rather than breaking it down into digestible parts that grow with you. At this starting point, remember what Dennis suggested. Pick your battles well and celebrate the small victories. Use those success stories and the resources around you to build your movement one person at a time. Never shoot blindly for quantity. Build upon your plan while keeping quality as the paramount measure of success. And through all of this, don't forget to keep dreaming big. This is Robert Roach, signing off.